This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Diane Lucci of Voorheesville. As a child, she learned empathy. She was raised on the campus of a state mental hospital where her father was a psychiatrist. She believes in the power of bringing people together. A world traveler, she relishes learning about different cultures. At home, through her singing and her church, she likes bringing people together. For 15 years, Lucci has organized Morrisville's Farmer's Market, a community gathering place in the church parking lot. She is a familiar name in Voorheesville, and one of the reasons why is she is the driving force behind the farmer's market. So welcome, Diane. Thank you very much. It's nice to talk to you, and uh, you've given us a lot of publicity in the past, and we really appreciate that. Well, the past is 15 years. That is a long time to have started something like this and keep it going. Tell us from the beginning, what made you decide to start the farmer's market? Well, I remember we had a church meeting, you know, and of course, churches are always trying to reach out to people and get new members and, you know, spread the word of God. Uh, and so one at one of the meetings, you know, one of the fellows in the meeting said, you know, we have location, location, location. We could do a, this or that and a, maybe even a farmer's market. And I just took it and ran with it because I felt that it was something that was just coming into vogue. And so my husband and I would go to the different farmers markets and we would ask them if they were interested in doing, um, you know, a a midweek market. Uh, At the time, of course, the Schenectady market was big. Delmar Market, I they I believe started the same year that we did, but the crossings was also going on. So we got most of our vendors just that way. And um, we started off that year and I had no clue whether or not anybody would come. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, they did. And um, we, you know, every year we've just tried to you know, make it more interesting and have different things going on. Uh, So I, I, you know, I have great, great helpers. Needless to say, I I could never do this by myself. So um, the last couple of years, we've had strawberry socials, we call them, and we've done that the week after school starts, and that's been a big hit. And the last couple of years, we've done face painting, and we've hired a face painter, and a lot of the kids really, really have liked that. So, and one year, we um, did a, um, we did a, um, just a, we did a um, 
a dinner. We had Noah Sheets, who was the governor's chef uh, at the time for, um, I believe it was before Andrew Cuomo or right as Andrew Cuomo was in office. And um, he would come to the market and he'd take different things from the vendors and he'd cook them up right there. And he would let the people sample them. And then he'd say, well, I got this from that person and that from this person. And we found him, my husband actually did at the Schenectady market. And um, so then I got the idea, well, maybe what we could do is do a pork dinner uh, because we had a meat vendor. And um, so we actually, Noah said he would do it and get helpers. And at the time, I thought to myself, what have I done? I have never <laughs> done anything like that. And we actually had to turn people away. It was a great success. So the community has really, really, you know, helped get this going. I mean, you know, you can have the people, the vendors there, but if you don't have the community behind you, it, it won't work. So, Well, what a wonderful story. Just to back up and unpack some of the details in case someone's listening that doesn't know the location, location, location. You are at the Methodist Church in Voorheesville, which is right on the main street in the center of the village. So that's good to know. And you've mentioned you and your husband went to the established farmers markets and I take it they were on the weekends so they would have Wednesdays you're always on Wednesday afternoon free tell us about who some of these vendors are who are some of the the people selling their wares that might attract well, we, listeners um, to we come. have one vendor one vendor has been with me right from the get-go and it's called worldling pleasures and they're out of water valite and they are both a delightful couple um and then when we have euro delicacies who uh, sells Mediterranean food and the people uh, line up there like there's no tomorrow. And of course, we want the farmers to be there. And um, we used to have, we only allow three produce vendors because um, I got some help and some tips from actually Dana Breezy, who runs the, uh, the Altamont Orchards. And he said, you know, if you get too many of the same vendor, nobody's going to make out, you know, nobody's going to make any money. So we had that limited. Well, the last couple of years, it's really been tough because a lot of the uh, vendors have said, I can't get any help during the week, especially the farmers. So, um, but my mainstay and guy who's been with me is called Fort Hunter Farms. And he's been a real blessing to us um, for probably the last, I'm going to say maybe eight years. So, and this year we have two new farmers coming. So I'm really uh, happy about that. And then our mission team sells lemonade and iced tea and all the money that they make um, goes to buying backpacks and um, our congregation shops and fills the backpacks and they all go to the hill towns for the children going back to school. Nice. And uh, yeah, so well, 
I have, uh, Wednesday's the day we put our paper together, so I've rarely made it to your market, but the times that I have, I just love the feeling. It has a very almost festival-like community feeling when we had to ask questions of politicians running for office. We went to the farmer's market because it's a way to find people and talk to people. And I know when I talked to you probably 15 years ago, as you were setting it up, you said that one of your missions was to bring different parts of the community together. Has that, has that happened? Oh, I, I think it has. I really do. Um, you know, it's just amazing. Now, last week, this, this, this week in particular, July 4th, I, uh, with the heat and also the holiday, I thought we would be kind of slow. But I was still surprised that how many people did come out. And, um, and, and it's always, you know, I, I love it when I see new people because, you know, after a period of time, I know my regulars and I know if they're not there. <laughs> and, um, you know, so it, it's been really, really good. I, I do think it's nice. I get to talk to them this week. Um, somebody just said to me, uh, well, we're new in the community. And I said, oh, where did you buy? And she told me and I said, oh, I said, the woman right over there is the woman that used to own that house. And I said, would you like to meet her? So, you know, putting people together and um, it just makes me feel good. Ah, well, this is a perfect segue, the idea of putting people together, because I looked up and over the years in our paper, we've written about several initiatives that you have been the center of. Um, and one of my favorite ones was there was a series that I think kicked off at the First United Methodist Church um, with one of my favorite people who's now deceased, uh, speaking, uh, Fazana Salim Ismail, and you helped organize this. She's Muslim, was Muslim, and spoke about her religion and her life. And just tell us a little about some of the things um, that you've put together like that, that series, for instance. Well, that was wonderful. I think I was at uh, the Gilderland Library when you were there and I heard her speak with the other two women that were there and I followed her um, and I just, you know, I, I know that you know that I love to travel, too. That has been brought up in another article you wrote about us. And I, I so strongly believe that um, you know, if people uh, travel more and get to know different cultures, that we wouldn't have so much divisiveness in this country and hate. And um, so when I invited her to church again, you know, you don't know how many people are going to show up. And um, it, she just she was just such a bright light in this community. And it was very, very sad, as you said, that she's passed away. And one of the other things that I did, um, I remember when the first people took over the gas station and they were Muslim. And I thought we had a Korean minister at the time. 
And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a panel of different religions? And our church secretary at the time happened to be Jewish. And our minister was South Korean. Uh, and I asked the man that managed the gas station have if he would come. And then I reached out. They had a um, Buddhist temple retreat, I think, up in Rensselaerville. And um, we got some a couple to come down. And then I reached out to the Hindu temple and we had a woman come. And um, one of the local women in our church, she um is a writer and she did the uh, she was the commentator and it was really um, interesting and I was delighted with the turnout uh, and as the Hindu woman said you know I think we all worship a god and it's just how we get there that is different from all of us and um, I, I that really that I was very proud of that get together. And then the other thing I remember what we did and you covered is we, uh, after the hurricane or Irene came through here and destroyed so much in Greene County and Schoharie and um, Schenectady, uh, another woman, Judy Ramsey in our church, uh, she and I, in, I don't know, four weeks, something we put together uh um, for a garage sale at the church. And we had so many donations. And my goal was to make $3,000 so we could give $1,000 to each of the counties. And we did it. I, 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 you know, I marvel again, it was all the community coming together and helping us. So we had something to sell. Uh, so those are some of the things that um, I've been involved in. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just uh, we're going to have to go backwards in your life to see where this came from. But there's one more before we do that I wanted to ask you about. I remember being so struck. You uh, sponsored a screening of a movie um, about Irina Sendler. I think it was called Life in a Glass Jar. And um, just just tell us what that story is, because it's so moving. Yes, I read that book and then I found out that we could get it and show it at church. She was a Polish uh, social worker back in World War II and she saved so many young children from the Jewish ghetto and put her life in danger. Uh, and the book was about a, a group, the one that I read, there's several about her, but there was a group of children who acted out her book. They did a play about her and then they raised enough money so they were able to actually go over to Poland and meet with her before she passed away. And that was just a very touching story. You know, in the wintertime, I haven't done this in a while. Of course, COVID is way of so many things. But um, we also did, um, but, you know, men are watching football Sunday afternoon. So <laughs> that's, why I, that's why I've kind of picked, I think, January to do those movies. But another one we did was about uh, Palestine and the, uh, Israel. And we actually had one of the women who, 
um, filmed this movie, uh, and uh, she came and answered questions, and and that was also very very moving and uh, informative. I felt. So, are most of the people attending these women or children? If the men are all watching football, is that like your no. target audience? No, no, there there was men there. I mean, yeah. let's face it, not every man is a sports fanatic. That's true. <laughs> I just happen to be married, wanting to have two boys that are. <laughs> so, um, just so people know why it was called Life in the Glass Jar, this. Um, Irina Sendler, the Polish social worker who helped all these Jewish children, wrote up specific details about their lives so that if their parents survived, which many of them did not, um, they could be reunited with their parents. And it's it was yes. just such a moving story um, that these young young women in yes. Kansas kind of discovered her and wrote this play. So now I want to hear about your life growing up because I just want to know where this great sense of compassion and community came from. Where where did you grow up? Well, I grew up uh, in Marcy, New York. My dad was a psychiatrist at um, Marcy State Hospital, which is now a prison. And I, I have to laugh because one time my mother and I were going to visit my aunt and we went through Potsdam. And of course, there's two colleges there. And she said to me, I often wish she was from Carthage, New York. She said, I often wish that I had been brought up in a college town. And I remember looking at her and saying, well, I wish I'd been brought up in a town because it was pretty isolating up there, you know. Um, and and we were, oh, a good probably four miles from my the town where I went to school. So, you know, somebody had to take me there all the time uh, if I wanted to go down to take part in a lot of school activities. Um, so, and then when I got married, we, my husband, wait, was I want to, I want to wait, wait, we're going to go oh. into more detail on that, but I want to just back up a little because isn't that interesting? Your father was a psychiatrist at the state hospital for the mentally ill. And what was that like? That must've been very demanding work because that would have been an era before a lot of the modern approaches, I would think. Tell us about that. Yes, it was. It was. We um, it's a different life. We had a you know, we didn't we didn't own our home. Um, we my mother often had most often had a, a patient who came and helped her clean. Uh, I didn't even know how to grocery shop when I went to college because my mother had a checklist and she would order canned canned goods and bread and pies and flour and meat and it was all delivered to our home oh yeah because it was so, part of a large institution they, they, very they had also a dairy farm there um so it was really really interesting um you know growing up there do you have um, siblings so, do you have uh, siblings i do 
I have I have a brother who's five years younger and we're quite close. Uh, he lives down in Westchester and um, he loves to travel as well as I do. He's not quite as social and he will admit it than I do. <laughs> but so, at least you had a playmate but, built in with a younger brother, right? Yeah. And I do, it's interesting, I do have one friend from high school whose father was also a psychiatrist that I keep in touch with um, now and again uh, from Marcy. But you know, at the time, I mean, I I used to hear people screaming and yelling. Uh, like you say, it was before tranquilizers. Um, my first job as a dental hygienist was actually at Marcy State Hospital in the dental office, the clinic. And, you know, women came in, men came in with lobotomies. And, um, but I, I think it helped me growing up. You know, people in school were kind of cruel, you know, all oh, that person is a, a nutcase or, you know, words like that. But I was much more empathetic because I grew up around it. You know, now, of course, mental illness is out there and, you know, it's not the stigma it used to be then. So. Well, I think there's still a stigma and I think it's great that you grew up in a setting where you had one of the patients cleaning your house and then as a dental hygienist, you worked with them. So you have a sense, I think, even though you're right with the big state institutions being dissolved there but there's still even though right in altamont we have several group homes which is wonderful but i wouldn't say that they're completely integrated into a community life so um i think you probably have some part of your personality that was formed by accepting all kinds of people at a young age do you think I, I do think that's very true. Okay, very true. now we can get into the romance. <laughs> How did you meet your husband? Well, this is my second husband. We'll celebrate 35 years of marriage in August. And um, <laughs> I had a friend who um, was a, uh, her, her brother was a teacher at the Voorheesville High School, and he had done some work, carpentry work here. And he said, you know, I need to introduce you to my sister. She's single, and she just moved back here from Florida. So she encouraged me to go to a couple singles things. And the very second one that I went to, this she introduced me to two men, and this one man said, do you know how to, ball, do you know how to ballroom dance? And I actually had taken lessons when I was in college uh, from Arthur Murray. And I said, well, it's been a long time, but yes, I, I do know how. And so he said, well, he said, how about you like to go out? And I looked at my friend and she said, oh, he's harmless. <laughs> <laughs> and so we started to go out and you know within two years we were married and we've danced to trip the light fantastic for a number of years oh that's a wonderful story and you're still dancing well yes i have a kind of a bum knee but oh my goodness my husband's going to be 87 in December, and he just 
Ah, he just loves to dance. So fortunately, there are a couple other women that um, he does go out and dance with. So he's still a happy camper when he's dancing. Wow. Almost 87 and still dancing. That in itself is inspirational. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, <laughs> I just am still trying to get over this idea at this second singles event. Do you know how to ballroom dance? Tell What is it about dancing? Because so few people do it anymore. I mean, people dance, you know, kind of freestyle. What? Tell us what it is about ballroom dancing. I, is it more romantic because you're eye to eye, cheek to cheek? Or how does how does that work? Well, you know, I think it's it's like any hobby you know when you learn most men i we have heard and found over the years were so intimidated by you know because they have the responsibility of leading the woman mm -hmm. but you'd be surprised the number of younger uh, couples we belong to a dance club called cotillion that's Cheapers, I think we just had a 75th anniversary and it's a formal. Yeah, men wear tuxes, women long, wear long gowns and we have dances. I think um, there's like six or seven a year. And um, boy, I'll tell you, some of those dancers, <laughs> I we used to be there, but we're not <laughs> anymore. But they really uh, shake a leg. They're they're wonderful. And, you know, there's a lot of dance studios who are very, very busy around this community. So it's yeah. still out there. Well, tell us about music in your life. I think I remember you're in the Thursday Musical Club. Is that right? Yes, that is right. Well, I've been a member of that off and on for since 19, oh, I would say 70. Um, tell us, tell us about had, what that is, the Thursday Musical Thursday Club. Thursday Musical Club was uh, formed by uh, GE Executive Wives, and they always met on Thursday because that was the maid's day off and they would meet at different women's home and they would give concerts um, uh, twice a year, usually around December and in the spring. And um, so it's it's over 100 years old. And our director is Julie Pankey, who I just love. And so I I went back in, this year in January. Of course, COVID got in the way of that as well. And um, I, I just love her. I just it's challenging and um, my voice isn't what it used to be. But, um, you know, I, I just well, music is a big part of my life and always has been. My mother sang and played the piano. My father played the trumpet. So it's just been an important part of my life. So tell us a little more about that. I'm somebody who came from an unmusical family. What uh, what is what is the gift of music in your life? What does it do for you? You you said your mother played the piano, your father played the trumpet. Would they like have little family concerts or how did that work? No, no, they didn't. Um but it just has always been, you know, a part of our home. And, um, of course, Lawrence Welk was always on then when I was a kid. Um, when I went to high school, 
And believe it or not, uh, I think it was like in sixth grade, the teacher wanted, the music teacher wanted me to be an alto. And I'm, I used to be a good singer, but I'm not a good reader. And I always want to sing the melody. Let's put it that way. So, but when I got to ninth grade, we had a new music teacher and he picked me as a start of a tradition for him. He picked a ninth grader every year to sing Oh Holy Night. And he picked me the first year. And uh, when I went to several of my high school reunions, people still commented on my voice. <laughs> and it surprised me because, you know, I never was a big deal to me. I didn't think I was that good. So, you know, it was it was nice to hear that after all those years. <laughs> Isn't that something? And for you, because you're deeply religious, to be singing Oh Holy Night. What tell us yeah. about where your sense of religion or God came from? Because that seems so central to all the different activities in your life. Well, when I was a kid, my mother was a Baptist. She was brought up in the Baptist church. But I, I had a friend in, in school, in middle school, I think, and she was a Presbyterian. And so I started going to the Presbyterian church um, in Whitesboro and um, was pretty active in the choir uh, and youth group. And then when we moved down here, I knew I wanted to continue to sing in a choir. And we first lived in Salem Hills. And of course, the Methodist Church was right down the street. And um, at the time, Gene Franks was our organist and then became our director. And we did Foray's Requiem. Um, she was just an amazing musician. And um, so I've been singing ever since in the choir. <laughs> nice. And do you feel when you're singing in a church choir, is it like a like a prayer? Is it like a religious experience or does it feel like you're entertaining? How how, how does that how does that work? Yes, I I think that's very true. Um, I did take a lay ministry course, a couple of them, and we had to give um, a sermon. And um, I'm I wasn't ever much of a speaker, and it's funny because I would tell people, "Don't ask me to read the scripture, but I'll sing any day you want me to sing." You know. So actually, part of my little sermon, uh, I did sing a, a little one of the hymns a cappella. And I have to tell you, when I went to Machu Picchu, a couple times I've been. I took my grandson about 10 years ago and um we were walking one of these paths and i was pretty much by myself he was off doing his own thing and um i remember this one hymn i can't remember it right this end but it just came to mind and it just i was just you know it was in my the whole time and um it's a big part of my religion you know, music is and, and how I feel. And right now we have a, a wonderful young, she's only 27 years old, minister. She was born and raised in Louisiana and she just graduated a few years from Duke Divinity and she married a fellow who's also a graduate from there. And um, they have brought so much life and 
vibrancy to our church. We've grown and they have a youth group of between 15 and 18 kids every week, which is amazing. Yeah, it is because these days churches are having mostly older congregations with uh, the young sort of falling out of that habit. So that is, that's wonderful. So I don't know if you have, our time has just gone so fast. Um, If you have any closing thoughts, I still feel like there's really so much more I wanted to hear, especially about your world travels. Like, tell us some of the places you've been. You just mentioned South American trip, but um, what what other places have you been and what have they meant to you? Well, um, last year, I always take my, I, my three grandchildren that live local, I take them on a trip when they were 12. So my grandson Mason and I went to Machu Picchu and Galapagos. And I fortunate I was fortunate enough to go both places by myself before that. And then my granddaughter, I took her. She wanted wait, to go wait, to Nor- I, I, I want to hear this, but I just have to Galapagos. That's where Darwin did his studies mm-hmm. and came up. Wow. So what what was that like? Oh, my gosh. It was it was just marvelous. We were on a. Uh, a boat and it wasn't a glamorous boat (laughs) but it was just incredible to see all these creatures and to walk right up to these seals because they just lay there and look at you they're not afraid of humans at all and we snorkeled and the 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 seals would just come up and play with you. They'd come right to your face. I have a an awesome picture of that that I took, <laughs> and I was it it was just marvelous to hear and be in that environment. Uh, it wow. really was excellent. And Mason is a twelve year old. Will have these memories of his grandmother snorkeling with seals. I love it. Okay, so you were going to talk about your granddaughter's trip next. Where where did you go with her? She wanted to go to Norway, and so I found a trip where we could go to Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. And so we did that, I think that was like eight eight years ago. And then my third grandchild, who is now going to be a junior, and um, she, of course, COVID got in the way of our trip. We were supposed to go to Switzerland, and that didn't happen. And so we finally went last December um, and she wanted to go to Patagonia in South America. So we flew to um, Santorini. No. Yes. Santorini? No. Santiago. We flew to Santiago and we spent a couple of days there and then we flew down to Patagonia and um, we were out and about as much as we could. Their summer is um, our winter. Of course, that's why we went in December. But um, the wind on a good day is between 40 and 50 miles an hour. 
Oh, wow. And I want to tell you, they they did talk about a lot of people do go down there and do a lot of hiking and camping, but we didn't do that. But um, the guide said when they tell you to go down and kneel or get down on the ground, they mean it. You go down because the wind can go up to 100 miles an hour easily there. And so um, the, then um, when we got home, actually, one of the places we stayed, it was a beautiful, of course, these places are out in the middle of nowhere. So we, um, we, we saw pictures, our guide had sent them to us, that one of the, the winds were so high that the hotel which was all glass it blew out windows in one of the hotel rooms it blew out the grass glass in the dining rooms and so uh, that was quite the experience but we saw you know different wildlife that we hadn't seen before and we saw glaciers um so that was a that was really a great time i went to iceland last year that was a marvelous trip However, I got COVID and couldn't come home for five extra days because of that. So uh, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I've done a lot, of, a lot of the European river cruises have also been uh, wonderful. Wow. Just as a grandmother to be a world traveler with each of your grandchildren, that just must be so special for them. You know, to have those memories. Well, I'm not going to leave anybody any money. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you have the right approach. So our time is now passed over. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? No, but I really thank you, Melissa. Um, this has been a pleasure. And, uh, um, it's strange talking about yourself, but... I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, thank you for all you do 